Mark chapter 3, continuing the sermon series through um, the subject of the words that we use. Uh, we're, I think this is going to be the second to last sermon. Next week we're going to talk about one more thing. Uh, but this, this morning's sermon is on a subject that uh, most of us, we've talked about anger and some other things. This is a subject that most of us don't do very uh, good at. And in fact, a lot of us would consider doing well at it to be unchristian. But uh, when we get into a number of the passages that we're going to look at this morning, uh, we find out that the actual uh, thing that we're supposed to do as a Christian is different than uh, what we often um, portray. So I'm in Mark chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 as we get going this morning. Mark 3, starting in verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Mark Galley uh, tells a story of, from back when he was in college. He and three buddies had an apartment together, and um, they came up with an arrangement where um, each evening, um, because they all end up together in the apartments in the evening, each evening they would rotate. One of them would cook each evening, so that way uh, they didn't each have to cook every night. And so as they started to go through that arrangement, uh, his three friends did a pretty decent job. I mean, it wasn't, you know, Karen Butcher level cooking, but it was pretty good cooking. You know, it was, it was a decent meal that was kind of prepared um, and, and, and was worth eating. But every fourth night when it was Mark's turn to eat, or when it was Mark's turn to cook, rather, so that they all could eat, he would just kind of grab a couple of, of cans of something out, warm it up, and that would be the meal. And it kind of became a pattern over a number of weeks that that's the way that Mark would do it. And so finally, his three roommates sat him down and confronted him. We had this agreement that we would all do this, and we feel like you're not living up to your part of the bargain. We're, the three of us are each trying to prepare a real meal, and, and you're putting in minimal effort. And we had all agreed we were going to do this. And we feel like you need to do better. Mark said, sitting there in that moment, he, he felt defensive. He wanted to find some way to accuse. But at the end of the day, he realized they were right. He was putting in minimal effort. He wasn't doing his share. And Mark said he began to try to do better. And he said, actually, out of that experience, he said, to this day he can still make a pretty decent spaghetti. Um, that moment where the three friends sat down and confronted him, that's a hard moment. And it's a moment that a lot of us try to avoid at all costs. And that willingness to share confrontational truth is what we want to talk about this morning. If you have your sermon outline, we're going to begin uh, there looking in Mark chapter 3. Our approach to confrontational truth, boldness when they're not here, cowardice when it's one-on-one. -on -one. 
boldness when they're not here, cowardice when it's one on one. So what we tend to do is exactly what I've just said. When we're talking about a change somebody needs to make or something we need to talk about with someone, when we're by ourselves or when we're talking behind their backs, you can listen to the sermon on gossiping a few weeks ago, from a few weeks ago, but when we're doing that kind of stuff, we're bold. They need to do this or this is terrible or this is wrong. They shouldn't be doing whatever it happens to be. But then we tend to, for the vast majority of we tend to be cowards when it comes to actually talking to the person about that and actually going to them and saying, you know, okay, th this is something that needs to be attended to. As you look at our passage for this morning, in verse 5, as you look there, we have Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And the, the argument is over the Sabbath. And, and just a real brief thing for folks that, that may not know. So the Jews back in that day, they were very deliberate and very specific about what you could do and couldn't do on the Sabbath day. They considered that to be a really big deal, unlike today where we just don't barely even think about it at all, which we should do better at it. But they went over the line, and they had these long, detailed rules about what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable. And one of the things that wasn't acceptable was to do what they classified as work. And for Jesus to heal this man would have been classified, amazingly as it is, as work to them. And so even though Jesus was doing a miracle here and bringing healing to this man, they considered it to be something that wasn't from God because he was doing work. And clearly, you shouldn't be doing work on the Sabbath if you were a person of God. But look at verse 5. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. I, I want you to, to pay attention here to the fact that this is a confrontational moment. A lot of times we think of Jesus as being Mr. Rogers with his little cardigan sweater, and he would never hurt anybody. He was just going around telling everybody to love each other, and he would never do anything to offend anybody. If you think that's who Jesus is, you need to get a Bible and read it, because that's not who Jesus is. Jesus was confrontational, especially with those who were boldly and stubbornly holding on to things that weren't true. And here the Pharisees had these ideas about the Sabbath that were not from the Bible. They had made up their own rules. And Jesus here, as you look at verse 5, he looked at them. Now, let's pay attention to that for a second. He didn't just kind of keep his head down and do this and not pay attention to them. He's standing there and he looks at all of them. Like he's making eye contact with each of them as he goes around. This is a confrontational moment. He doesn't even just look around at them, but it says he looks around at them in anger. We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that the majority of our anger is unrighteous anger because it comes from selfishness or, or impatience or something like that. But that there is righteous anger. When we see evil in the world, when we see things that are wrong that are happening, we should be bothered by that. That's righteous anger. And here, there's a man who could be healed, and these people are so obsessed with their rules that they don't want this man to be healed, and Jesus is righteously angry about it. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. That is a confrontational statement, isn't it? He knows what they want him to do. They want him to not do anything. He knows that what they're doing is what they're saying or thinking is wrong. And Jesus chooses in this moment to do what is right, even though it involves confrontation with all these people around these Pharisees and Herodians who don't want him to do it. Jesus 
confronts them with the truth. There are times when we are called, and we, need to, we do need to be discerning about it, but there are times where we are called as Christians to be confrontational, not rude, but that we need to be willing to speak the truth even though it may not be received well, even though somebody may not want to hear it. And oftentimes we, we get cowardly when those moments come. I read of a fellow this week, to pick a really easy example, he was out to, to breakfast one morning, and as he was sitting there eating, he saw a, a fellow a few tables over who, um, he was sitting there, he was in a, a really nice suit, he uh, had like a presentation kind of thing, he kept flipping through his notes like he was getting ready to give a presentation, um, and, and he was going over everything, he kept kind of glancing at his watch like he, you know, he knew exactly when he needed to leave to be there. And, and as this fellow was sitting there watching him, the, the man was eating breakfast, and at one point in the breakfast, he got some cream cheese on his mustache that was still there. And the fellow over at the, the other table, he's like, should I tell him? Sh- should I go? And he kept debating back and forth until finally he, he, he watched the man get up, and when the man got up, he was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go tell him now. But he got up, and there were a bunch of people in the way, and before he could get over to him, the man was out the door. Even something as simple and appreciated as, hey, listen, you, you got something on your, your mustache, you need to get rid of that. Even something as simple as that, we, we don't like sharing unpleasant truth. We don't like going and saying something that somebody uh, might make a situation awkward. And so when it gets even beyond that to situations where, like in Mark Galley's situation, where we need to share something with somebody that they might not want to hear, we get cowardly. And so we need to look at this passage and talk about um, what we can learn from Jesus here. The key truth is this. The key truth is this. Loving like Jesus means loving enough to tell even uncomfortable truths. Loving like Jesus means loving enough to tell even uncomfortable truths. We, we tend to think that some people paraphrase Christianity as this, be nice, be nice. Like, that's the whole thing. That's not what Christianity is about. We are not supposed to be rude. We are supposed to generally be pretty nice people, but that's not the whole thing. There are times when we need to confront. There's times where we need to step forward and say what is true. As you look at verse 4, Jesus says right before that, what we just read a moment ago, then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? He's again putting forward a confrontational truth. I was reading this week, let me get the lady's name right, Marilyn McIntyre, um, and this, I think, is, is maybe the best way to say what I'm trying to say this morning. So listen to the story um, closely. So she talks about one time her husband, uh, they, had had, they had a young child, and, and the child was misbehaving throughout the day, and there had been confrontational conversations that you you can't do that we don't do that you need to stop that there have been those confrontational conversations finally the i don't know three or four year old ever the old child was was just fussing you don't love me i can't believe you keep acting like this toward me i can't believe you know it's terrible you don't love me And, and Marilyn says in one of maybe the best moments that her husband ever had as a parent she said her husband got down on one knee right in their child's face and said honey this is what love looks like. 
And I love that statement. This is what love looks like. We define love oftentimes as being, you know, we're not going to talk to anybody about anything uncomfortable. We're not going to go and tell them what they need to, to, to hear about. Instead, we're, we're just going to take the cowardly way out. That's not what love looks like. Jesus here is being loving toward these people. How can you say he's being loving? He's confronting them because they need to know the truth. The most loving thing Jesus can do here is tell them the truth. And so Jesus, even though it's confrontational, Jesus is being loving in this moment. You say, well, wait a second, preacher. Like, you're talking about those kind of things where we're supposed to go and say something to somebody, but doesn't the Bible say that you're not supposed to judge? So how am I supposed to go and do that when the Bible says not to judge? Well, let's look at that real quick. Go with me back to Mark chapter 7. Let's identify this correctly, because that's something we massively misunderstand, and a lot of times we will end up not doing what we're supposed to do because we have taken one verse out of context instead of understanding what the Scripture says on the subject. So in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, this is the Sermon on the Mount. I want to look at two verses in Matthew and one uh, in Matthew 7 and one in Matthew 18. Matthew 7, 1. Matthew 7, 1 says this. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Let's pause right there. So that's the whole story, right? So I should never confront anybody about anything because I can't, I don't want to judge them. I don't want to say something's wrong. I don't want to say they're going down the wrong path or what they're doing is incorrect or they're hurting somebody else. I'm never supposed to judge, and so therefore I, I shouldn't do any of that. If, you only, if we only had that verse, we might think that. But that's not the only verse we have. As you continue to read the rest of the passage, and I don't have time to unpack the whole passage this morning, what he's saying here is not, you should never make a discerning choice between two things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you should not have a judgmental attitude where you go around all the time saying, I'm the smartest one, I know everything, you guys are all idiots, so everybody should listen to me. In fact, in this passage, and then over in Matthew 18, we have the mention of that kind of an action later. So verse 1 says, Do not judge or you two will be judged. But look down at verse 5. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What does that presume? It presumes that I'm noticing that you have a speck in your eye, and I'm trying to help you with that. I'm trying to get us all in the same direction. We need to come at it very humbly. We'll get more into that later. We need to be aware of the fact that, that, that we all have made mistakes. We'll get more into that later. But we're not called here to suspend all judgment on all things, but rather to be discerning. Flip over with me to Matthew 18. There's another verse that goes right along with that. Matthew 18 and verse 15. Matthew 18 and verse 15. This is a passage that's about how we are to deal with sin within the church. But let me just note that first verse in Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister, that's your brother or sister in Christ, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now this isn't about just like everyday tiny stuff, but this has to do with larger sins. When somebody has a significant sin in their life, that we are, it's my job as a Christian not to say, well, I don't know, I guess they'll, they'll figure it out. It's my job as their brother and sister in Christ to say, listen, 
I'm like, this is a bad road you're going down. I'm really concerned about you. When they're dealing with major sin in their life, we are to go and to be willing to confront in that moment because, going back to Matthew 7, we have the discernment that we have. We have a humble attitude, but we are sometimes to share confrontational truth. Flip over to Matt, or I'm sorry, James chapter 5 for just one second. I know I'm hopping around a lot, but these it's important because we don't like doing this to see that, um, that this is part of, of how we are to be living our Christian lives. Matt, um, I said Matthew again. James chapter 5 and verse 16. It says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The way that the normal Christian life is supposed to work is not supposed to be, you don't judge me, I don't judge you, we just all live independent lives, but we're supposed to be, not like in the middle of a, of a, a service like this, but I'm supposed to have a small group of Christians around me where I, I'm, this is what I'm struggling with, can you pray for me? And they say, this is what I'm struggling with, can you pray for me? And we confess our sins to each other and we pray for each other. And when we're off track, we say, listen, I'm concerned about you. You're going in this direction. I'm not sure that's a healthy thing. We need to have that kind of a relationship with each other so that we can continue to go down the path we're supposed to go and not get off onto other paths where we end up with disasters in our lives because nobody loved us enough to tell us the truth. Now, hypothetically, this morning, if you say, okay, I get it. I I'm, I'm supposed to live that way. What would that look like? Well, let's talk about four things. Because this is something we're not very good at, and because many of us don't do it, I want to be very basic and start with, okay, if we're not at all doing this, what would it look like to begin to be somebody that lives out what Matthew 7, Matthew 18, and James chapter 5 says? Let's go through four things and, um, and see if we can put some flesh on this idea. Number one, do it as someone who has struggled with sin too. Do it as someone who has struggled with sin too. So we go into this situation. In 1 John 1.8, it says that, you know, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. We, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all had moments where we needed somebody to do this for us. And so we have to go into it as we're, as we're looking at this first idea there, and there's several other verses. You know, I don't go into it as, no, so listen, I'm perfect, I, you've made mistakes, but I'm perfect. I haven't made a mistake in so long, I can't remember. And so you need to shut up and listen to me because I know everything. No, we come in humbly and saying, listen, I, I, I've struggled with things too, I've had a hard time too, and that's why I, I know I've, I, I myself have seen consequences of sin, and the road you're going down scares me. I, I'm concerned for you because I feel like this may end up bringing bad things about in your life. We, don't, we go into it, being aware of the fact that we have each struggled and had times where we needed somebody to do this with us, and so we're not going in as someone who knows all and who is sinless. We're going in as a fellow struggler. Second thing is this. Not only do we go in as a fellow struggler, but also we need to have a broken heart before we have an open mouth. Have a broken heart before having an open mouth. So, as we go into it, it's important that we have compassion and confrontation, empathy and truth. To go back to our, our passage in, in um, Mark chapter 3 for a second, as we go back and, and look at verse 5 again, notice that what it says 
there, we noted a moment ago, he looked around at them in anger. But notice the next phrase. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He, he had a brokenness for them. He was bothered by the fact that they were this way. He wanted them to change. He didn't just want to heal this man. He also did this hoping that this confrontation would cause them to change and hopefully get them to come in a better direction. And so before we go and shoot off our mouth, we need to have a broken heart about the situation. We need to be concerned about that fellow. I've told this story before, but it fits so well here. I want to come back to it. Ben Patterson tells a tale of when he was um, much younger and was a counselor at camp. Um, it was a Christian camp, and he loved doing practical jokes. And one time, uh, the practical joke he did was he gave all the fellow counselors gum, which turned out to be laxative gum, and obviously created a, a huge issue. And he was still laughing about it. He thought it was really funny. And he got called into his boss's office, the, the director of the camp, and he went in just full of, of a sense of, you know, that was hilarious, don't you confront me about it, because that was a really good joke. And as he went in and he sat down, he said his boss sat down across from him, and he said before he said anything, he just kind of sat there for a second, and with this deep sadness in his voice and tears in his eyes, he said, Benny. And Ben says, before he even, he knew what he was going to say, before he went from there, the brokenness that he saw in his boss over the fact of how he had treated his fellow co-workers there, the other leaders of the camp, something changed inside of him. His pride and his sense of, I'm not going to acknowledge that I've done anything wrong, just crumbled in that moment. And it wasn't because of the words, it was because of the broken heart that his boss had. We need to go, before we go and say anything, we need to make sure that our heart is broken for this person. Why? That's the third thing. Why? Number three is this. Make your goal the joy of a healed relationship, not the joy of being right. Make your goal the joy of a healed relationship, not the goal of being right. We all love saying, I told you so. We all love being uh, in that moment where we're like, I told you it was going to end up like that. I told you you were going to head for a disaster. The goal is not to be proven right. The goal is not for, even them, for them to look at us and say, you were so right, I'm so glad you confronted me. The goal is to have that healed relationship. As we look here in, in John cha or Mark chapter 3, Jesus, as he is confronting them, again, he doesn't want them to be the way that they are. He's confronting them with the hope, and we know later some of them do repent. Uh, as we talk about the Pharisees in general, some of them do get the message and come over to the side of Jesus. He's confronting them with the hope that they will change their mind and come to be the way, to be on the side of Christ. And so as we think about that, we need to lay aside the goal that, you know, I want to be proven right. I want people to see that I was right and he was wrong. The goal is that we want them to change their behavior and for that relationship to be healed because they have changed and we're able to come back together again. Which leads us to the last thing, and that's this. Except that there is not always a Hollywood ending except that there is not always a Hollywood ending. So look at verse 6. And this is one of the situations where there's not a Hollywood ending. After Jesus confronts them, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now, we know later, as I said, some of the Pharisees and presumably some of the Herodians will end up repenting and come over. There are individuals that do that. 
But in general, we know the Herodi or the the um, Pharisees are going to um, combine their work with the um, with the Herodians, and they're going to get Rome on their side, and they're going to being able to pursue what they want against Jesus. And so, it's not always going to work out perfectly. It's not always going to work out to where there is that healed relationship. But we are nonetheless called to go forward and speak words of truth in those situations where we feel like, okay, this is something that I need to do. We need to do it with discernment. We don't do it all the time, just going around shooting off our mouths all the time. But when there's somebody that we love, somebody that we're close to, who's going down a path that is wrong, rather than holding back and saying things behind their back, we are called to go forward and speak words of truth, even if it involves somewhat of a confrontation. It's not us doing that and, well, we're not being like Jesus. When we do that, Mark chapter 3 shows us, when we do that, we are being exactly like Jesus. Jesus loves enough to confront with the truth. And sometimes we're called to do that too. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to give us the courage to do what is right when it's difficult. To show that we love people because we're willing to speak words of truth. I pray in Jesus' name. And amen. As we stand and sing our song of invitation this morning, which is wonderful words of life, if you desire to come forward and spend a moment in prayer about a situation that's on your heart, um, somebody that you do need to talk to, or if there's some other burden on you today and you want to come forward and, uh, and uh, have a word of prayer at the altar, at the front pew, you're more than welcome to do so. If there are other needs this morning and you desire to come forward and have a word of prayer or something else on your heart, uh, you're more than welcome to do so. Somebody needs to be saved, to rededicate. Stand as we sing 406. If you need to come forward, I invite you to do so.